Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. We've got Rhino in studio today. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from your Super Talk Mississippi app. And, of course, you can always find us on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And head on over to supertalktv.com, too, because you can watch good things. You'll see I'm not alone today. In the studio, joining me is Miss Catherine Sullivan. She is the Government Relations Director for the Mississippi American Heart Association along with Terry Wages. He's the executive director for the Mississippi Fire Academy. And what are they doing together? Some good things. They've got uh, legislation that passed that's helped saving lives. So that's something to celebrate on a Monday, guys. So welcome. Okay, Catherine, I'm going to start with you because from what I'm learning, you went and knocked on Terry's door about 2019 or maybe a little before, and you had an idea for a really helpful policy. So walk us through that. Yeah, so um, in 2019, this has been, you know, years in the making. Um, I approached Terry and some folks at the Fire Academy about um, a policy that the AHA is very um, passionate about called telephone CPR. And so what telephone CPR does is guarantees that there's a standard of training for all telecommunicators. So when you call 911 and you are a bystander for somebody who's had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, that that telecommunicator on the phone is able to walk you through verbal CPR instructions over the phone so that you can actually help save, you know, your loved one or a stranger's life. So prior to that, I'm assuming that if you were to call 911, they would try to help you the best they can. It's the actual training piece that may have not been fully in place. Right. And so something that's really um, unique about this is that Um, Even if you, and Terry can actually speak to this, if you know how to physically perform CPR, talking somebody through the verbal instructions of um, giving CPR to somebody over the phone is very different. How do you calm them down? How do you get them to take action? Um, It's not the same. And so it's really about um, the training piece behind um, the policy. So, Terry, when Catherine knocked on your door, I was like, hey, I think this is a great idea. What did you think about it from the standpoint of the Mississippi Fire Academy? Well, I started looking into what it what it would take to get started doing it and um, reached out to some of our colleagues to pitch the idea of what they think. And uh, we had a, a real positive reaction. Of course, we had a lot of questions about it, the liability associated with it, how we'd get it across the state. So that process went on for a few months, and then uh, COVID hit us and, and slowed things down a little bit. But we managed to keep the ball rolling uh uh, like Catherine said, uh, being a firefighter for the last 30 years and also a paramedic, I've done CPR many times. Uh, but I didn't realize until I actually took the telecommunicator CPR course what the difference was in how we do it on the scene and being there and doing it and trying to talk one, someone on the phone through doing it. And there's a lot of challenges there that it's not hard to do, but if you're not aware of what to ask, it could be a, it could be a hurdle. 
Without, I mean, just putting yourself in in a different situation, which is be trying to give someone directions who's lost. Like if you've ever called someone who's trying to find you or get somewhere and they don't know where they're at and they're sort of panicky and you're trying to tell them where to go and turn around and maybe a city they don't know, that is a disaster. And that's like minor compared to if you're now in a life-threatening situation right. and you're now trying to walk somebody through something they've maybe never sort of done before. Um, so I can see where this would be, you know, super helpful. How was it received from like the 911 uh, responders and maybe who else would be on the other end of the training part? Sure. I, I mean, I think, you know, overall it was very positively received. I think lots of people in the field um, have thought about this, right? There's, you know, how can we do this better? How can we make sure that that chain of survival from, you know, an incident to, um, you know, medical professionals arriving on the scene, how do we make sure that those links are better connected? Um, But there's always challenges in, you know, passing policy, whether it's at the legislature or through a board. Um, And there's, like Terry said, lots of questions and things that needed to be answered. And so um, that was a lot of the work that was done that kind of took some years to get through. What were some of the, I guess, roadblocks? I mean, you don't have to call anyone out or necessarily like that, but like thinking through it, because it sounds like a no-brainer, right? But I mean, obviously there are things you have to think through. What was maybe the thing that finally got it pushed over the edge or that you guys were able to figure out or the crinks to get out? Kinkles. Wrinkles. That's the word. I think the... You know, the last um, meeting that we had, the last board meeting, I I think back to something that Terry said. um, And, you know, all these questions had been answered. We had talked to, you know, the state's claims board and made sure that there was no liability and, you know, things that are genuine concerns that needed to, you know, questions that needed to be answered. Um, But at the end of everything, Terry looked, you know, said to the board, why wouldn't we do this? You know, why, why would we? not offer this and i think that was kind of the 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 thing that got us over the edge with everybody was you know this could make miss this could be this could save lives in mississippi so why wouldn't we do it you know terry everyone's talking about cpr and what first responders and all that can do in terms of a cardiac event i mean we all witnessed it on national television not too long ago and it's brought it up in conversation and i was laughing here on good things saying oh mississippi comes out with a policy like you know just a couple weeks later or right at the same time but the work had been going on it was just a great coincidence but from your perspective as a 30-year first responder. I mean, people sometimes brush off CPR. How effective is it at potentially saving a life? Well, it, it's the it's the it's the determining piece on saving a life. I mean, when someone goes without oxygen for one to three minutes, somewhere in there, you've got to make contact with them and start CPR, or are you going to they're going to get to the point where their brain dies? in about six minutes or so. So that initial CPR is crucial. I think one out of ten, isn't it, Catherine, or, uh, have a chance to survive out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So those those numbers are, are scary as it is. So that early CPR is crucial. This program, uh, as Catherine said, we, we had a lot of questions. Now, keep in mind the telecommunicators board is made up of professional responders and uh, our executive director Robert Davis and our and our chair right now Stan Alford were instrumental in leading this. Uh, they 
they had a lot of questions, and rightfully so. We had to we had to vet it through the legal components. Uh, the access to the program was a big question. The cost of the program, uh, just a lot of questions to answer. That took a little time to get all that, but in the end, I think we, Mississippians are much better placed now with this being uh, voted on and approved. Uh, now, the, the the Bestie Board, the Board of Emergency Telecommunicators Standards and Training Board, uh, they're very passionate about making sure that the courses they that they offer and deliver and they have as a requirement to be a dispatcher are vetted properly so that the dispatchers that are coming in that have to get this training within one year of being hired get access to training is going to be valuable in their, in their profession. How long does the training take? The the course I took was online. It took me uh, I timed it. it. Took me an hour and twenty minutes oh. to take it. It's a it's a video uh, uh, put together with some powerpoints and they walk you through. And as you're going through it with me, I was thinking, wow, I never thought of that. Like for example, uh, the, one of the first things to talk about is positioning. You tell the the caller how to position the person that just had a heart attack. If they're on a sofa or a bed, you have to pull them onto a hard surface. That was one of the things that, as a responder, we go in and it's a motor action. It's a muscle memory. We know to do it. We don't even think. But telling someone to do that and telling them how to place their hands and the proper the proper procedure for the compressions and counting with them as you do that as a dispatcher, that those are some of the things I'd really never thought about. And you wouldn't necessarily think about, again, I guess if you're a 911 um, call in the call center and you answer it and someone's having this sort of uh, moment, if you didn't have the training to sort of look and sort of go down and go to, you both can kind of be bum-buzzled in the, mo- in the moment. So I feel like this, I mean, again, I, I'm like, Terry, why wouldn't we Why wouldn't mm-hmm. we do this? Has the training started? Have our first responders and our 911 operators started taking this training? So the... The policy language went into effect January 1st, and so the way that it'll work, it'll kind of incrementally cover everybody eventually, but any new, um, you know, 911 dispatchers that come in to be trained, as part of their basic training, they'll have TCPR included. So any new telecommunicators that are coming on on board now. Do you know how many that includes? Like, how many would be eligible in Mississippi for this training? No, I'm not sure of the exact number. Yeah, but you're probably, sure I'm sure it's yeah. a lot of folks that would now have the opportunity to be able to disperse this great information to someone who calls, probably mm-hmm. in the worst-case uh, scenario. But, Terry, I want to talk about, uh, when we come back here on Good Things, about actually having CPR training. Who should have it? What does it look like now? Because you may not always want to have or be able to call into 911, but still having those skills is super important. So stick with us. afternoon just a little brighter it's good things with rebecca turner on super talk mississippi
forget you can watch good things. We are on computer, even your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. You'll see again, I'm not alone. I've got Catherine Sullivan. She's with Mississippi Heart Association and Terry Wages, who is the executive director for the Mississippi Fire Academy. They came together to pass legislation that is saving lives through telecommunicator CPR policy. But Terry, CPR is for everybody, right? In terms of a skill to know. So we're grateful this policy got passed. And if you ever need to call 911, now hopefully the training will sort of sickle through. But let's talk about taking the responsibility of just knowing it in your everyday life. Who should know CPR? Uh, well, any, everyone that is able to do CPR, that is able to do the compressions, should be taking a course in CPR. We, we've started programs in the schools. Um, Jennifer Hoppin, uh, she's not here today, of course, but she has been instrumental in uh, getting that started, along with the uh, the um, Mississippi Health Care Alliance, I, Christy McGregor, uh, Dr. Uh, Harper Stone has helped us put together a program to reach out with 260, I believe it is, mm-hmm. uh, kits throughout the state to distribute uh, CPR mannequins and to offer training. The Fire Academy has partnered to help teach that. So we're sending instructors, our adjunct instructors, out to lead that instruction throughout the state in our school districts. Hopefully that's going to branch out to more access to CPR. I was sharing with a friend earlier, Terry, about having this conversation with you guys today here on Good Things, and I have been certified in CPR throughout my life, not currently up to date, but I have throughout throughout my life, and she asked me, she just said, have you ever had to do it? And I was like, no, and she was like, you'll never forget your, your first time. It's terrifying. So now with 30 years under your belt as a first responder or as a fireman, I mean, do you still remember the first time you had to whip out those skills that you learned in class? I do. I was a young firefighter in Tupelo. It was 1993, first time I had to do CPR, and I can remember the patient and where it was at, but uh, after after that, I was scared to say the least. And uh, after getting through that first time, I remember thinking, "Wow, that was that was something we really made a difference," you know. And then years and years later, and 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 all the patients that we've conducted CPR on over the years, uh, you don't remember them all, but you do remember what you feel like and how you feel when you're doing that. And it's it's almost like you you become just focused on that, nothing around you, just on that, and and as you're going through it, it, it time just seems to just stop, and you and you perform it, and you don't think about it, uh, especially the more you do it. So, uh, it's amazing what a person can do when they set their mind and get trained like that to offer that help to our to Mississippians or to anybody that needs it. But but our courses that we offer through the Fire Academy and many other training centers throughout the state. Uh, there's access almost everywhere now to get CPR training. So we we urge Mississippians to get out and get training and just make phone calls, and you can find access to a training center to get the training. I feel like one of the biggest fears would be if I don't do it perfect, then what's the point? Or I'm not sure I would remember everything in my training, right? I, even I mm-hmm. felt that. I've, there, I've had jobs where it was required for me to be CPR certified, and I remember thinking, oh, God, I'm not going to remember any of this if and when a time's sort of comes is poorly done cpr better than no cpr i mean give us a little bit of uh, encouragement that if we don't get it perfect we could still save a life well the biggest thing is making sure your compressions are deep enough to to have that blood circulating throughout the body I, that's one thing we see is is you're almost frightened to push too hard especially the first two first time you do it so um 
making sure you compress at least two inches and then let that compression come back up fully before you compress again and then just keeping that count because now we have what we call hands-only CPR that we're teaching in the schools where you're not doing the breathing. You're just doing the compressions to responders arrive. So we emphasize the depth of the compressions, uh, how they perform, the pace of the compressions, and uh, that's crucial in doing it properly. If you don't get a deep enough compression, you're not really doing effective CPR. Was that change due to the fact that that's just scientifically a better way of doing it or for the fact that there was a lot of people who were hesitant about putting their mouth on a stranger even if they were dying? Well, there's been a lot of scientific research, Catherine speak to this, uh, that backs up AHA's uh, uh, model on how we do CPR now. Catherine, do you want to speak to that? No, I mean, that's exactly right. I would just say that, you know, this is the recommended method from the American Heart Association, and everything we do is based in science. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think that's a good, that's because you did have some um, that were like, ooh, I don't want, you know, it's just kind of, it's just personal space, even though somebody is uh, going through a time, you would think you would override that in your brain, but you just never know. So that's just one barrier down. But this is also another sort of um, remembrance for us, what all the American Heart Association Association does whatever you may think they do there y'all are out there doing a wide variety of things so when someone asks you what does the american heart association do for mississippi how do you respond with that Catherine? wow big loaded question <laughs> um it's you only know, an hour show now <laughs> i think um what i think about when i think about the american heart association is that the work that we do is to prioritize mississippians living longer healthier lives and so that looks like physical activity that looks like work in schools that looks like um, working to create you know systemic change through legislation and policy um, that looks like food pantries and nutrition security work um, we do a little bit of everything all over the place things that you know help Mississippians um, have better health is what's gonna you know reduce heart disease and stroke when it comes to policy, do you feel like, I mean, Mississippi's legislators are at least open to hearing ways they can make our communities and our schools and all of that, well, safer at the same time, healthier? Oh, for sure. More, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, I guess there's always just questions to be answered or loose ends to be tied up when it comes to anything or any sort of change. So you can see sort of now why it takes takes a little a little longer to get things done. But you had the pandemic in there, so we'll give you a, at least a yeah. year. That That's year we technically did. doesn't count. That doesn't count. That's it. <laughs> And so now here we are. So if someone wanted, though, uh, Terry, to maybe get CPR certified, they haven't done it in a while, aren't there – do you still have to go in person or are there online opportunities for that now? Well, we uh, there they are online courses to take CPR through, but we recommend uh, a, an actual uh, um, – person-to-person course to do CPR so you can get the proper check-offs to show uh, placement of the hands, the depth of the compressions, how to how to bag someone or ventilate someone. So um, we recommend that's the best way. Of course, with the online uh, surge since COVID, uh, you can just about do anything online now. Uh, however, uh, the Fire Academy, we really encourage and try to get the person-to-person contact. And Catherine, you shared that you are an expectant mother, so congratulations. Thank you. But you mentioned that was something important for you as well to sort of go through that prior to a family. Terry, is it completely different, like people with young children or have their grandchildren around? Are those procedures significantly different than, say, the way you would treat an adult? It is somewhat different with an infant, how you you hold the infant. 
uh, the placement of the hands, maybe using the thumbs instead of the palm of the hands, so depending on the age. So uh, that's all taught during the course. And then, of course, with our classes that we teach, we also teach access and how to apply the, the automatic defibrillators. Uh, which is crucial, CPR being the first step in the chain of survival, and then access to that, what we call AED, is the second step. Uh, so we try, if there is an AED present, it's, uh, we try to teach how to get the, the CPR provider to get access to that, place it on the patient, and it delivers that charge automatically once you put it on there and just push a button and it determines if it's needed. Is that another area a, um, AHA is trying to push to maybe get more access to those? I know that there were once or still is a lot of conversation about certain athletic places, schools having sort of access to those, but also knowing sort of how to use them. Are we bridging that gap too here in Mississippi? Um, for sure. I mean, nationally, you know, that's something that we work on and we're always looking for funding for. Um, I mean, the, the, the biggest barrier for AEDs is costs. Um, and making sure that they're accessible, you know, in any facility that you go to. Yeah, and then having someone, I'm assuming, that would know how to to utilize it. But that would you can teach someone. You have to sort of get it there first mm-hmm. because um, oftentimes, even though it's scary, it's still a good conversation to have when you think about youth uh, athletes and you see the horrible headlines. A lot of times it, it comes back to, you know, sudden cardiac events. Um, and usually it's, it's something that either wasn't known or was already being treated, but still having those type of equipment can be a lifesaver. But CPR, we can all have, play our part. In and sort of knowing the right um, the right way of doing things, and so if you have, how long does your CPR certification last, Terry? Well, the one I know w- mine's out. Yeah. Uh, oh, the the actual certification <laughs> yeah. lasts two years. Oh yeah, mine's way yeah. out. <laughs> mine's uh, the dated. Cor- the course is 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 about four hours. In oh, total. y'all whittled that down. So it's it's uh, you can go through it. It depends on how many how many participants you have if you have to break classes up but typically uh, just a normal size class you can go through it fairly quickly uh, again you know like i said we teach try to tre- teach all the components going through it as, as well as aed so it's important to know that well being the executive director of the mississippi fire academy will you hang out with us i know y'all are really doing some cool things there and i uh, stick with us we got more coming up next Becca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome 
Welcome back to Good Things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Supertalk Mississippi app. And we're continuing our conversation with Terry Wages. He's the executive director for the Mississippi Fire Academy. I couldn't let you go, Terry, because I've had the good fortune of actually coming to the Fire Academy on a couple occasions, talking nutrition to the, the boys there, and seeing your wonderful facility. And I feel like more people need to know about the good things going on. It's very remote, kind of hidden back in Rankin County, but y'all got a lot of cool trainings happening there. So how do you describe the Fire Academy? Well, uh, it's it's an amazing facility. Um, uh, first time I, I visited the Fire Academy was in 1991, and I remember being intimidated when I rolled in there, uh-huh. thinking, uh, oh my goodness, what am I getting into? That was my first training as a firefighter in Tupelo, and uh, and it was it was a uh, um, it was the best training that I'd ever had in my life, of course, at that time. But I didn't really know what to expect. I got there, and the people I met there and the people I trained with, I still know to this day, still are my best friends, talk to all the time. So the camaraderie built through that agency is amazing. It, it stays with you a lifetime, not to mention just all the courses. I think we have 75 on-campus hybrid courses now. We have about 45 uh, field, what we call field deliveries done out in the field for our volunteers and other departments throughout the state. So uh, it's it's almost like a small community college as far as the atmosphere, but it's, it's just first responders, firefighters coming out there. And there's people who come from out of state into Mississippi for training that can only be, or maybe not only be done, but can be done there at the Mississippi Fire Academy. What kind of setup or, I guess, facilities do you all have that makes it, you know, I guess, attractive for other people to come in and use? Well, we, we have, um, um, it's, it's, it's all in-house there. We have our own dormitory, cafeteria. Uh, we keep everything's done there on site. As a matter of fact, we're about to open a new dorm fire station project that's been under construction now for a couple of years. Uh, it's going to add another 140 beds, uh, two more large classrooms, and a big fire station engine bay to our campus. Uh, that's going to allow us to train more first responders. Um, so the, just what we can offer in the uh, it's just a uh, all inclusive type atmosphere when you come out and, and the diversity of courses that we offer are needed as a firefighter advances through their career for the promotions they need from from the firefighters up to lieutenants and captains and chiefs and so on. So uh, most of the firefighters that connect out there uh, when they first get in the profession, we see many, many times throughout their career. Those who are looking to be a career firefighter in Mississippi, they've all had to come through the Mississippi Fire Academy. That's correct. Uh, under our uh, state law, you're required to take the what we call the 1001 course, the basic firefighter course there, to be a career firefighter in the state. Now, many people don't know that our volunteers make up the most firefighters we have in our state. They, uh, they, uh, they uh, right now I think we're at about twelve thousand volunteers in the state and about thirty five hundred career firefighters in the state. So uh, the volunteers are are trained. They have a, uh, two courses they take. We call them Boss Cert One and Two that they can take through the fire academy to get that initial training. And if they want, they can come out to do the basic firefighter course. 
Uh, but we try to have or give access, make it available to our volunteers because they're such a crucial part of our state fire services. We were talking on the break about our insurance rates in the state. And uh, as many people know, the fire academy is a division of the Mississippi Insurance Department and functions under the leadership of Commissioner Mike Cheney. Commissioner Cheney uh, is he's 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 an advocate of fire service in the state, and he makes sure that uh, we communicate the need for our fire service in the state to control and help keep down those insurance rates because our, the trained firefighters, the the uh, what training they have, the equipment they use, their water supply is all calculated in what a homeowner pays for their insurance. So it's very important that we maintain our state fire service. If someone was listening and maybe they thought about it or they hadn't thought about a career in fire service because you mentioned, Terry, that you really never thought about it until it was the opportunity was presented to you, who who's a good fit for it? Who would be a good fit to be a fireman or firewoman, I guess, here in Mississippi? Well, it's I, I not just a single personality that you can nail it down to because we see so many different personalities, the diversity of the personalities that come through. But it takes one thing I can I can tell you you have to have is commitment. Commitment to for the training, to to focus on what you want to do in your career. Uh, that is a is key to be successful in this profession. Of course, there's many more we can talk about as you go through the training, and uh, but the one that comes to mind is that commitment to maintain your training and continue it throughout the years because it, I've been in it over 30 years, mm-hmm. and I still take courses and train. So uh, it never stops, it seems like. In those first five to eight years of your career, is just consumed with training. Well, everything's developing new science, new research, new technologies. And so, I mean, just like for me, talking about CPR, which we started here on Good Things, the way I learned it as my first time as a lifeguard versus now how I would would be completely different in the techniques because they got better. And when you know better, you do better. And I would assume it's the same with any kind of first responding training or technologies. It it is. when When I first started 30 years ago, we we responded to fires. That was that was really all we did. Uh, we go to wrecks. We started going to wrecks. I think uh, the first year or two I was there on extrication. Uh, but before that, the ambulance companies were doing extrication. So fire uh, branched off into that. Now move, move fast forward ten years. Now we're into the technical rescues where you have rope rescue, trench, confined space, hazmat, uh, uh, swift water is a big one now. So those are the fire departments are responding to. And then finally, in the last 15 years, we've seen the evolution of EMS in the fire service. Now we have uh, many of our fire departments throughout the state running EMS all the way up to the paramedic level. So we call it the all-hazard profession now because literally Everything that happens is in an emergency, even if law enforcement's involved, the fire departments are going. You're never going to be bored. That's that's true. You're never going to be bored. I mentioned fireman and firewoman, just but is there a sort of increase in ladies getting into the fire department in Mississippi? There is actually. We we see more and more uh, women coming into this profession and, and doing an outstanding job in this profession. Uh, uh, their commitment as they come into the training has been exemplary. They uh, they seem to they seem to really uh, are able to attach to the training. Um, 
uh, sometimes the strength component comes into play, but uh, the ones that we've graduated through the fire academy, uh, you wouldn't think would be strong enough to drag a 160-pound man 100 feet, but they can they they commit to that and focus on it, and they, they get it done. And they get it done, and then they're yeah. able to graduate. How long does the fire academy last? If you were to go in as a, I guess you call it, a new recruit, new cadet, I don't know the language, how long are you there before you're, you graduate? Well, we, we have uh, some prerequisites you have to meet to get in. So once they take those, then you come in, and it's a seven-week course that they come out there, that they continue over seven weeks. Uh, they stay on campus Monday through Thursday, and they go home on weekends and come back on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but all total is seven weeks to get that basic course out of the way. You've made it a career, Terry, over 30 years. Could you imagine doing anything different now? I couldn't. Uh, I can't. I can't imagine the fire to service not being a part of my life. I, I think it'll always be. Uh, even after I retire, I plan on, on staying active, uh, just helping with legislation and, and things that we can help our firefighters throughout the state. We've got a bill coming through legislation this session to help our volunteers uh, called the uh, the Links of Service Award. Uh, so that we hope that program is going to incentivize volunteers to become members of their local department and, and, and stay and be active within those departments. Now, one of my favorite shows is Sh- Chicago Fire. How accurate are those shows to what you guys do on a daily basis? Well, they're, they're very accurate on, <laughs> the, on the emergencies they, they go to. I now, wasn't expecting that. Uh, the only thing I can I can really debunk on the on the <laughs> TV shows is there's, it's impossible to carry that much equipment yeah. for all those emergencies on that truck. And keep your hair looking exactly. that, that exactly. good, depending you know, on all the yeah. different scenarios. Well, if there was someone who was looking or had questions about you know, the Fire service as being a potential career opportunity, or I guess some have multiple, you know, uh, jobs along with it, or it's just a part of who they are. Where do they go for more information or to ask more questions? That's a good question. Uh, it, in their local communities, depending on if it's a volunteer or career department, either one, just just go to the department and ask them. If you're hesitant about doing that, give us a call at the State Fire Academy. Uh, you can go on our website at msfa.ms.gov. Uh, there's um, all kinds of information how to contact. If you just hit a brick wall, can't find anybody, uh, on that same website, you'll see my email address and my cell phone number. I encourage you to call me if you want to be a firefighter in the state, and we'll try to make it happen. Try to make it happen. All righty, Terry, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, you guys stick with us. we got more for you coming up next. And stories that make you smile. This is Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm.
come back to good things. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Super Talk Mississippi News this week in Mississippi Newsletter. You'll get the news stories you need to know from the most powerful name in Mississippi News delivered to your email inbox. If you want to sign up, it is free. You can go to supertalk.fm slash newsletter. And I know Sports Talk is coming up next, but I wanted to get a shout out to the ladies from Brandon. They are JV National Champions in cheerleading and the Varsity National Champions and back-to-back Grand National Champion. So the ladies from Rankin County there at Brandon High and Junior High, they're coming home with some serious hardware. So congratulations, lady. You got you guys showed out, uh, showed up and showed out for Mississippi in the sport of cheerleading. And I think you deserve a slice of pie to celebrate. And today is National Pie Day. And I had to do a double look. I didn't know which pie are we talking about. Is it pie or is it nerdy pie? But it's, no, nerdy pie day is on March fourteenth. Right. So apparently I'm not nerdy enough to recognize that today wouldn't have been Nerdy Pie Day because it has its own specific uh, sort of date. But today is delicious um, pie day. And I think it's a category of desserts all in of itself. And most of us have one. You either like pie or you like cake. Now, you like both, but either you like pie or you like cake. Are you a pie guy or a cake guy? I'm, I'm a pie guy. Why? Because I like the the sweet part of any dessert. Mm-hmm. The, the sweetest part is the best part. And growing up, I always felt like cake was kind of this this just waste of space. Like if you just gave me a, a <laughs> like cake, all the air in there, yeah, like like the the cake itself. It it wasn't until I got older that I started to realize, oh wait, the cake tastes good. There's a reason the cake's there. I would just eat the icing and leave the cake growing up. And my, my parents would get mad at me for it. But And you could see you don't get this big being bashful. But it was the the ratio of icing to cake. There was never enough icing for the cake when I was growing up. Whereas unless it's a bad pie, it's all good. Correct. And it feels like they're tougher to make. Somebody Cakes or pies? Cakes. I mean pies. It could be. If you make the crust from scratch, it feels like more can go wrong. Yeah. You can curve a bad cake with enough icing or I guess uh, maybe, you know, maybe not. Unless the icing but it feels is like, a like pie. the amalgamation icing my mom used to make and put on a cake. And she could only make it when the humidity was a certain level because if you start putting that much heavy icing on a light cake, it just collapses. And you have a pile of what used to be cake. Pie is the only one of the two. Now, they're both good with ice cream, but pie holds up to a scoop of ice cream. Rarely do you just put the scoop of ice cream on a piece of cake. It doesn't necessarily go that well together. Although there is that amazing nostalgic feeling when you do have a slice of birthday cake. But That particular birthday cake flavor and a scoop of ice cream. But they're together, not on top. Right. Right. I mean, it's like a because it's on the little cardboard serving uh, plate that you get uh, for your birthday parties, and then they've melted and sort of rushed and mushed together because you're trying to eat it fast or serve it uh, in a way, or it's, you know, to the side and the little thing. Where a pie, it's like you heat it up and you intentionally 
plop down the vanilla ice cream on top and then watch it kind of melt and make it make it its entire thing. Yeah, it doesn't feel weird to say pie a la mode, but cake a la mode, just like, why didn't you get an ice cream cake at that point? Both are good with a cup of coffee. Both can be good with a glass of milk, but still today is pies, is pies day. Favorite pie? Uh, it's got to be my mom's chocolate chest, but I have started growing very fond of the key lime pie. The Mississippi mud pie didn't make it on your list? No, not quite. Key lime pie, though, a good one is a good one to, with meringue or without? However the chef deems it to be. If if the chef is going to put some Cool Whip on it, then I'll have it. If the chef says it doesn't need Cool Whip, I trust him. What's the definition of a pie? Is it just, because I'm thinking my mother makes an extraordinary blueberry crunch, but it's got the pie crust, and then it's got the blueberry in the middle, and then you put the whip crop, uh, whip topping. Because it's in a pie crust, is that considered a pie? But it mean, doesn't have pie in the name. You can get squirrely with the word pie. I mean, I know it's good things. We can do whatever we want. Because you, you have the popular item from the British Isles and from European countries with the meat pie, where it's a pastry, flaky crust pie. holding meat and savory stuff. But I think, really, if you boil it down to it, it's not the crust, it's not what's in the pie, it's not how you cook it. In order to be a pie, it needs to be round, which harkens back to nerdy pie. And the measure of circles. Okay, so my mama's blueberry crunch is round, and it's on a pie crust. So we're going to go with... I think you could call that a pie. What is a cheesecake? It's its own endeavor. If something always is breaking the mold, it could be pie, it could be a cake, whatever national day it is. If you like cheesecake, you can celebrate it. But it is National Pie Day, so go have a nice slice and enjoy it. But stick with it. you got more coming up next with the boys with Sports Talk from 3 to 6. Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at 2, but until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.